It's the it's uh, riding home again here on Dog Post. Dean Leggy and Matt DeBerry today. Matt, a lot has happened since we last recorded a new commitment for the dogs. Warren Brinson. Uh, alcohol is now something that you can consume legally, and the, the public can consume legally in an SEC st- uh, uh, stadium or stadiums, plural, including basketball facilities and baseball facilities and so forth. There's a lot that's that came out of the meetings this past um, week in, in the conference. But one thing I do want to touch about uh, that we didn't talk about in person uh, not that long ago uh, was uh, all of this discussion of Georgia, Jacksonville, and the Gators. Uh, let's start there. Um, that contract comes up pretty soon for Georgia and Florida. Those two have been playing there since the 30s or beyond, uh, before that even. There seems to be on both sides suddenly here a, um, a discussion of, hey, you know, we don't have to play in Jacksonville. It's not just coming from Georgia anymore. Uh, Florida sort of is saying, hey, we're going to assess the situation to uh, I, I'm just wondering what your, you know, what your thoughts are on where Georgia and the Gators are with this thing right now. Is this just, I mean, it looks to me like this is just negotiation and public and positioning. Uh, but what, what would it do to that game if it were moved from Jacksonville? Well, I think it would hurt the game a lot. And you hear it all the time from Georgia fans in South Georgia and the Florida area. They love this game. This is a game that they can go to. Uh, a little more easily uh, instead of going up to Athens. Mm-hmm. So it means a lot for the people you know, in that area. And, it, again, it makes this rivalry so special. You've got Texas and Oklahoma. They play in a neutral field, Georgia, Florida. Are those the only two? I mean, I well, Army, ar- ar- you got Army-Navy, but Army-Navy rotates, and it's at the end of the year. And Army-Navy is not Georgia, Florida, and it's not uh, Oklahoma, Texas. Right, so I get why people want to make it an Athens-Jacksonville game, but I do think it would take away from the pageantry, the history of the rivalry, and, I mean, having it in Jacksonville with the divided fan bases, it makes it a special game, a special rivalry. It's already one of the biggest rivalries in college football, but having it in Jacksonville is a huge deal, and I would hate to see it leave, but there's just so many reasons you know why it could be changed but i feel like they talk about this every few years about moving the game obviously it came up a few weeks ago but i'm cool with it being in jacksonville would you be cool with it being in atlanta yeah if you want to do one game in atlanta one in the next in jacksonville I'm, i'm fine with that too but just putting it in athens and jackson or excuse me gainesville and athens i just think takes away from it all but you need that divided fan split it brings you know that's what makes this rivalry so special so where it's whether it's in jacksonville or atlanta i definitely would like to see it kept at a neutral site like that well of course it, it this would never happen but it could be played in miami it could be played in orlando it could be played in tampa it could be played in atlanta i think atlanta is not totally out of the question i, I will say um as usual, I have a, a a lot to say about this. I I don't ever see this moving. There's a lot of different reasons why. I think the city of Jacksonville, which is all of Duval County, just benefits so much each year that it's it's hard for me to believe that they won't make it something that that really uh, inter- makes Georgia and the Gators stick around. I mean. It, by the way, financially speaking, it, it's it's better for Georgia and Florida too hosting this, uh, having this game in Jacksonville financially. Um, I I want to circle back as well. You know, 
I can just speak for myself in, in all of this. I've been going to this game since 1997. So 20 plus years of going to Jacksonville every year. It's at least $500 every time you go down there. It's, it's usually more than that. So I would say most people spend between six and a thousand, $600 and $1,000 on this game. And I don't pay for tickets. So that's just two nights of a hotel room, gas, and food. Right. Um, you but know, the students have no issue going. I think the students this, love it. It's right around Halloween. The they stu- love going down there. The students, the stu- I get it if you're the students. Um, yeah. But it is a lot of money. It definitely, um, it's, it, it doesn't, I think the thing I would like to see more than anything with Jacksonville is it clean up around the stadium, make it easier to get into and out of the stadium. The Gator Bowl, um, when it first you know, started, was basically for this game. And then the Gator Bowl itself became a thing, uh, the game, the Gator Bowl. But in around the area, it's just not nice, number one. Which is not the end of the world, but number two, it is impossible to get to that game. It is impossible to get to that game, and um, you know, not. I think as a fan, you have your own seat. Literally, um, you can't get drinks, uh, even though it is the world's largest co- outdoor cocktail party. There's all, there's so much right with the game, <clears throat> but for me, having gone down there for twenty plus years. There, I have a particular frustration with everything around the game. It's just not done as well as it could be or should be. I know for a long time, Georgia really had to fight and struggle to get what they felt like was the thing being equitable for them. It's never going to be equitable. It's, it's always going to be closer to, uh, to Gainesville. There's no question about that. Georgia always has to get on a plane. The Gators always ride. But it would, it would be a shame to let it go away because of um, inaction on Jacksonville's part. I mean, I think I think you could say for sure, Matt, that Kirby and even Dan Mullen have a point, but Kirby's the one who's been the loudest about it, talking about losing that recruiting weekend every other year. I mean, it is, as a person who, who owns property in Athens and r- rents it out, you know, we're missing out on a few thousand dollars every other year too. So, Athens never gets this game, and this game has been played once in a century in Athens. And, um, you know, I think for Kirby, this is only and always about recruiting. Maybe they'll make that game to where both schools can host it, but then who are you going to displace to put the recruits up? You know, can you only host 30 kids? Because 30 kids equals really about 150 people when you start adding parents slash entourages. So I, I don't know, you know. I think they can make it work if they want to. The ideas are out there. And right. like you said, I think that's a good idea, too. Why can't both teams host uh, some recruits? I'm, and I, I don't know all the specifics and the rules and why they can't and why they should. But I think if they want to keep it in Jacksonville, there's plenty of opportunity for them to fix the issues, whatever they may be. I know you, know, you had yours and everyone has probably uh, – you know, the same type of opinion and why they do and it's don't not like nice. Jacksonville. It, it's not. And it's I not still nice. can't believe I right. found an Uber out of there <laughs> after that last game. So I'm with you, but it's part of what makes college football great. It's part of what makes this rivalry great. And well, here's I the think other, here's the other yeah, thing too, though, man, is that 
When you take a look down the road here, these two schools are the only two schools in the country that are in their position. Oklahoma-Texas is a conference game. So these two play every other year only three home conference games. They end every year with an out-of-conference foe that their state legislatures are never going to permit them to get out of. Georgia and Tech are going to play until the end of time. I mean, I've asked... I ask periodically, and and every time I do, I get an an eye roll from the people at Georgia. But they will play tech in every sport forever, and particularly in football. Now it might not end the season, but they will always play tech. So that complicates things. Now you don't you know you don't get Florida at home ever. You know does that mean that you are willing? I mean, like Georgia's schedule in the future is brutal. I mean, like, they're playing Clemson and Florida State, I think, the same year, or Texas. They're always playing Florida in, in Jacksonville, and they're always playing Tech, whether it's in Atlanta or in Athens. They don't have the flexibility that the, all these other schools do. Speaking of Clemson, Clemson and South Carolina, they both have out-of-conference in-state rivals, but they're not sacrificing a year a game in conference, a, a game a year in conference in a neutral facility. I think the AD at Florida... Or, or Dan Mullen, one of the two, said, well, why doesn't everybody in the league play a neutral site game? And it's like, are you, I mean, what? Like, where? Logically, where, you, you couldn't pull that off. I mean, <laughs> where's Kentucky going to play a neutral right. game? Right. In in Nashville against Alabama? I mean, or, or who? I mean, so none of it makes sense. That, that's not a real thing. Part of what makes Georgia special is this rivalry. But that doesn't mean you can't work on it. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's not nice around that stadium. And I, I grew up in DeKalb County. I know rough. Um, it's not rough like that. It's just not. It's not. It's not nice. And you've got yeah. millions and millions of dollars in economic development or in economic uh, just money pouring into North Florida for that weekend in South Georgia. And then you go to the game and around the game, it's just not nice. I don't know what they can do besides buying up a bunch of parking lots and converting them. That's not something that has to happen if you're the owner of the parking lot. And last thing too, Matt, what if the Jags – I want to hear your response to this. What if the Jags leave Jacksonville? Then what? Well, then they're in big trouble. (laughs) And then they get – it's probably the smallest market in the NFL. Maybe San Diego is – well, San Diego is in Los Los Angeles now. I mean, that's yeah. Cincinnati, yeah. Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Green Bay. These are not big areas. And if Jacksonville were to lose the Jags, what is the point of Jacksonville Municipal Stadium or TIAA Craft Field, whatever it is, or the Gator Bowl? I mean, you're, you have that giant structure there. You'd be just like Orlando with no home team. Yeah, this is definitely a topic of conversation that was all over dog post the past week and a half. So if you're listening to this and want to join the conversation, make sure you go over there because that was one of the biggest topics and threads we've had on the website for a while. So and it's, it's not it's not really idiotic discussion like, you no. know, I never want to play in Florida again. It's it's nuanced. I mean, that's the thing about the board, about dog post for sure is it's not your typical Twitter conversation where someone ends up to calling someone else an idiot. Uh, there are real issues with this game as it relates to surrounding the game. And I think that the city has a fiduciary responsibility to make sure this game never leaves. And that means that they're going to have to make Kirby Smart, Georgia, 
and the Gators happy about playing there every year. Steve Spurrier loved it. I don't know that anyone else loves it anymore on on either side. And I, that's I would be a little concerned if I were Jacksonville. But with that said, I find it hard to believe that it would move. I, I really do. I, I don't know where. I guess it would go back to the stadiums. I mean, you think CBS wants that? The most powerful thing in this is is television. Do you think television wants Georgia, Florida to move to the to the to the stadiums? I, I find it hard to believe on campus. No, I think they're very happy with what they've got going on right now. But you're the you're the TV guy. You're the ratings guy. No, I and am. apparently ratings are pretty good each and every year there. Well, so it's, it's one of the biggest television right. games a year. It's it's a game that CBS has broadcast. Every single year since 1996, with the exception of the 2002 game, they love this game. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they, this is a lot of inside baseball, but CBS couldn't sub-license games from ESPN. That's why you're seeing the second week and the first week of the season with no CBS games. And so CBS said, you know, I thought maybe they would trade ESPN and Disney uh a game like Georgia, Florida, a game like Auburn, Alabama, in order to get Georgia, Notre Dame, but it didn't happen. And so CBS said, you know what? Forget it. We're, we'll take Notre Dame, Georgia. We'll take Florida, Georgia, and we'll take Auburn, Alabama, and you guys can just deal with it. We like what we've got. Um, but that new TV contract's coming up. I think that everyone involved would like it to stay in Jacksonville if they could. But Kirby's just sitting there going, hey, look, we don't have to play this thing in Jacksonville. We have a beautiful stadium. It sits more of our fans. One last thing on this, Matt. I know, and I know our audience is saying, "Why won't Dean shut up?" But I'll, I'll add one other thing too. The people, the the higher ups at Georgia would also say to you, "We get um, forty-two thousand, call it forty-two thousand people a year in that game for Georgia, Florida." And they're, 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 when I asked them about this, they said, what are we supposed to do every other year when those 40,000 people are expecting to go to the game? Um, we can't host that many people in Athens uh, every other year because obviously the game would be in, in Florida. So, And you might get 8,000 tickets to that game, maybe. Yeah. You know, and that's with the band. So I... I I don't know, man. I mean, I think this is tricky. Um, it's tricky and simple at the same time. I don't think it's going to move, but they got some things to correct. Okay? I'm sorry I rambled so much, Matt. There you go. I, I know you love a good Georgia, Florida, Jacksonville ramble, so that was, that was fun. But it, it is important. It is something that you know has been talked about all over uh, the Internet, of course, uh, across Georgia fans the past few weeks. So. It's, it's one of the most important college football games of the year every year. Definitely. Speaking of which, uh, Warren Brinson picks Georgia over the Gators. You want to fill me in on that? That seemed strange. It was. I mean, you go back to the Georgia-Georgia Tech game. We were packed up heading to the car, and you know Warren Brinson commits to Georgia. I was surprised that it happened then. I wasn't sure where he was on Georgia's board. This is a very deep class along the defensive line. So at the time, I was surprised, but, you know, we were still focused on 2019 kids. He's obviously a 2020 kid, so it happens. You get an early commit you know, here and there. January rolls around. He gets an offer from Alabama. Other programs decides, hey, you know, I'm going to take a step back, reevaluate things, and see where it goes. Four months later, he decides to jump on board. And again, I was a little surprised. He makes four uh, defensive tackle commits. 
And again, there's still options out there, uh, especially Jacoby Cowan, guys like Jay Hardy, these guys who could play defensive end or defensive tackle, not big enough to play in the middle of that nose spot. But I, I wasn't sure how hard Georgia was recruiting him. When he came out with the top two on Friday, I thought Florida would be the destination. I even asked around uh, sources who cover Florida, people who were in the know down there. They were expecting him to commit to Florida, and they thought it would be the next day. And next day comes around, he commits to Georgia. I'm sitting there in traffic heading to make, and I couldn't get a story out. But that's how surprised I was. Usually I've got a story ready to go, and we're on top of it. But I was surprised. He is a good player. He's a solid four-star guy, but... You know, as we've talked about, Dean, when we're covering number one, number two, number three recruiting classes, sometimes those middle-of-the-road four-stars don't make it in. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing along this defensive line. Uh, Warren Brinson, lots of upside, uh, about 6'4", 300 pounds, not the biggest, not the strongest, not the fastest. But he's got quick hands. He can disrupt in the middle. Um, he's tough to block. He still has a lean body to him, um, and his best football is ahead of him. But, again, he's a middle-of-the-road four-star guy. So is Nazir Stackhouse. So is Jamil Burroughs. So it is definitely a position where Georgia needs to attack and build depth. But at the same time, you know, we're sitting here in early June. They've already got four defensive tackle commitments. Um, and they still got some defensive ends that we can talk about in a little bit. We're talking about interior defensive line types. They've already got four committed. And when you have these early commitments, sometimes they do lead to decommitments. So my job now is to figure out – who will likely stay in this class? Who doesn't? But it, right now it's Jalen Carter and then a big gap. And then you've got Stackhouse, Burroughs, and Warren Brinson. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out if these guys start getting attention from an LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, and feel like they're being recruited by those guys more. Maybe a guy like Burroughs or Stackhouse will take a step back and reevaluate things. But right now uh, the goal is to build depth, and that's what they've got right now. So We'll see if all four of these guys stick in this class. Might not happen, but yeah, you, you got to be happy for Trey Scott. You seem you seem to be skeptical of that. They're also after Jordan Birch, and I don't think they're exactly. I mean, I think they are definitely in that fight, if not in better position than people think. Definitely, you've got him on the outside there, uh, real d- defensive end type in that three four. Oh, you're saying you're saying D tackle. Yeah, I mean, they got four D tackles and zero defensive ends. I think they feel really good with Jordan Birch, and they can have Zykevius Walker if they want him, in my opinion. Um, so they can – got to go back to 2019. They got guys like Zion Logue, Bill Norton, who can play that defensive yeah. end type and maybe move inside. So in I 2020, think- it feels like they're trying to get more true inside guys. Again, now I know I, I, people who have listened to this before – I've said this a couple of times. I don't want to act like it's more than it really is. I think Zion Lowe could be a guy that you turn around in a couple of years and say, whoa, where'd that come from? Long, big. I've seen him make plays. Um, he checks every box. He's just not a top 100 prospect. But he can play end. He could play inside. I liked him a lot in terms of potential. So, uh, you know, you just have to monitor um, – it's it's if you are if you Matt DeBerry if Matt DeBerry is skeptical of them keeping everyone I think that's something to uh, monitor as well. Let's yeah. let's move on to the last subject. Um, and you know you went to college you know what it's like to go to uh, uh, 
you know, events in college. Yeah. Now suddenly the SEC has decided, hey, it's okay if you sell, um, if the schools sell alcohol during uh, sporting events starting August 1st. So that means, I guess, you could start with volleyball and soccer. Uh, but this is really a football play. What's your take on this now that you're, you know, approaching your 40s, Matt? <laughs> Let's hit 30 before 40. I appreciate that, though. But I think it's a big deal. I mean, college football is big enough, especially in the South. But you add the ability to buy alcohol in the games, and uh, maybe people will get into the stadium a little bit earlier, which is maybe they'll stay later, uh, especially when you look at you know, some of the student sections around the conference and around the country, you know, they kind of show up at the end of the first quarter, leave before the fourth. Maybe this will help the younger crowd stay, be more involved. Maybe it'll make them louder. Sanford Stadium is not the loudest place. Right. Um, maybe it's it, a lot of it is due to high expectations. Lots of older people with money who aren't very loud. Either way, I think uh, the atmosphere can only get better unless people are abuse it and you know look like an idiot and then that's on them hopefully that won't happen too much but you're not going to stop kids from pounding as many beers as they can before the game anyway i don't think well, that's going to stop two two things real quick you know sanford it is loud uh but the way it's structured sound is going to get out of there if you if you went to a georgia game in the dome uh you'd hear loud because those games are very loud, so it's it's. I think a lot of it does have to do with the way the stadium is shaped. If you look at that versus LSU, Tennessee, places where it's extremely loud, or even South Carolina for that matter, it, it, the the way that the the stadium those stadiums go straight up, Georgia doesn't do that. It goes out. Right. Um, it's right. It's sound escapes, but part of me doesn't really see what the big deal is here. I mean, what I mean is, I mean, I understand we're in the South. But, um, you know, all you do is you card people and you sell them two drinks at a time and that's it. I mean, you know, young, if this is about young people and um, all that, it's not a great argument necessarily. Now, I know the schools are always worried about something and that's their prerogative, but There's Why do you think they're doing it? Because there's been an outrage, people want it, or do you think it is to bring in a, like two or three million bucks a year? Well, I think it's definitely money has something to do with yeah. it, and it's not just money. I mean, I think I don't think Greg McGarity listens to these or people on the athletic board or the board of regents. They might, but what I would say is, you know, more than you know, binge drinking or uh, people drinking too much in stadiums. I would be worried as a conference about the trend at a lot of different events where the attendance is not what you want it to be. One reason why attendance can suffer is because you can't get all the amenities that you could at your house. Um, you don't get to see it live at your house. You can't scream or anything. You know, you can't hear the screams and yells, but you can use the bathroom whenever you want to. You can uh, drink whatever you want to, stuff like that. I would be worried about making sure that the game day experience is enhanced as much as possible. Most people drink responsibly. So if you do drink, uh, that should be the expectation. I, I, whether you're at a college football game or out at a restaurant eating. So I, I think for too long, 
this has been made too much of. Um, you know, you think about Georgia. That's a drinking culture. LSU drinking. They culture. embrace it. I mean, yeah. it's. I They're mean, proud. Come on. So I, I think for too long this has been, if you will, overdone. I think they made the right move here. It doesn't excuse away uh, drinking too much. Uh, you don't have to drink if you go to the games. I, I feel like I have to interject here that at other places, specifically at Clemson, you can leave the stadium. Now, that's against the rules and the policies of the SEC. But I can assure you that my, my in-laws leave the stadium and go do shots. So this this is not new. I can assure you that Georgia fans were doing shots at Notre Dame Stadium. Why do I think that? Because we, I, we saw all the liquor bottles in that were there. I mean... So to some degree, you have to sort of live in reality. Um, I think this is about living in reality, the revenue that comes with it, and you know you want the football games to be an attraction. Uh, an attraction. I, I think that it was just the next practical step, and Georgia's not doing it yet. Neither is Alabama. They're doing Georgia's doing it to their sort of highest end people in terms of boosters, but they've always. I don't know that they've always been able to drink, but you kind of could look the other way if a guy who's given a hundred G's or more, right, or, or a woman who's given a hundred G's or more is is got whiskey in their drink before a game. I mean, I I do think that the league is doing the right thing, um, but I I also don't think it's it shouldn't really be breathtaking that there's alcohol sales at these games. It's we have, we see that the Hawks, the Braves, the Falcons. And there are underage players, certainly at the Hawks and the Braves, that play every game. My old boss at uh, Chick-fil-A uh, might bring himself a, a little <laughs> bottle into Sanford Stadium every home game. So it, it definitely does happen. But I'm interested to see you know, how it will affect the attendance and fan base at basketball games and yes. baseball games. Tom yes. Crean is probably loving this. You know, you're not a basketball guy necessarily. Yeah. But if I but if I told you, all right, Georgia's playing Tennessee tonight at eight, um, you probably you and I, if we were going to that game just as fans, we probably wouldn't go out downtown first, would we? I guess it depends on the time and eight o'clock game food eight, and stuff like eight that. Eight o'clock game. Yeah, I might have a drink or you know some dinner before that game. Sure, but, you but def- I would definitely have some at, at, at the, the game. game. Exactly, definitely. and and I think that you know, uh, I mean, I just, you know, you, if you look at Don Lieburn, Leon Farmer, uh, there have been for decades huge boosters who have been tied with alcohol. I, 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 I don't see where there's really any – I don't see where this is a big deal, Matt, like in a negative way. I, I don't think it's an unbelievably great thing necessarily either. I just think it is. You know, I think all the problems will start in the very beginning, but it, as the season goes on and the years go on, it'll be normal. And – I think it'll all work out fine, and we'll look back thinking, wow, that was a really big deal, but it's not now. And Again, if you're responsible when you're drinking it, there should be no issues here. But I completely agree. I, I like it. I do think in the grand scheme of things, it's a positive all the way around. All right, Matt, we will wrap it up. Oh, just real quick on baseball. That, that ending was not good. I've been playing baseball my whole life. I, I could have made a couple of those plays out there. And I didn't want to tweet that out or anything, but it was very frustrating to watch a team who's a 
one of the best teams in the country just play sloppy, careless baseball like that. It, it was lazy. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if it's because they had played all weekend or if they didn't get sleep or, or what, but that was bad baseball, and it was embarrassing for a team that's supposed to be that good with that pitching staff come out and just lay an egg. And not only – it's not like they lost four to three in the ninth inning on a walk-off hit. They got their ass beat. And mm-hmm. I was sitting right next to the new athletic director at Florida State. Super cool guy. He told me before – he didn't even know who the Florida State pitcher was. He he told me Georgia's got more depth. We're, we're happy we made it this far. I talked to him for a little bit, and Florida State <laughs> starts scoring all these runs. This dude has the biggest smile on his face. He's loving life. But I can tell you, he was not expecting it. I don't think the Florida State fans, anyone there – um, covering Florida State or anything, thought that that was going to happen. And, again, that was an ass-beating. And I, I don't know if you fire the head coach or this no, or whatever. I, I don't think you so. You don't, but they've got to do something, Dean. That well, was, I agree. That was embarrassing. No, I mean, you're talking about two years in a row being a national seed, which means you should make it to Omaha, but you certainly should host your own Super Regional. And and that hasn't happened these last two years. And that's – I am not a big baseball guy. Now we 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 definitely get into covering baseball on Dog Post, yeah. Yeah. but I I I don't I. Florida State's not a powerhouse baseball program. Duke, not anymore. Who they got their ass kicked last year? They're not a powerhouse baseball program. So it's like you lost to Stanford or you know, Vanderbilt or anything like that. I mean, they they would have got drilled by those teams eventually if they couldn't make it past Duke or Florida State. But this it, but it, this team could have won the national championship. I mean that, yeah. that that's my thing is that they yeah. had the ability to again not knowing and I'm not going to sit here and act like I know enough about baseball got all the answers at all. It does seem to me like you've got to score more runs. You've got to address that some way or another. You're going to lose Aaron Shunk, who is a star, maybe one of the best baseball players, certainly since Gordon Beckham, if not all time at Georgia. You lose one of your best players in a decade with him going. You've got pitching. You've got to hit. You've got to score. Because in college baseball, man, <laughs> runs are king. If you've got great pitching, that's awesome and everything. But that eventually seems to fail. You've got to be able to score. And that's why those mid-2000s Georgia teams were so good and wound up in Omaha uh, three out of five years because they scored runs. They scored a lot of runs. This uh, team, we've, we've said the whole way, inconsistent, hitting the ball. They yeah. could put up 10 and then they could put up one. But it was their defense that was mm-hmm. supposed to be one of the best in college baseball and helped them get this far. And even during that game, they made some incredible plays. But when you make two or three errors, one uh, brought in two runs, a, a little league play, just throwing the ball all around. And late in the game, you're down by six and the ball goes right through your legs at second base. I mean... I don't know. It was, it was pathetic. I could have made some of those plays. I'm a confident guy. I'm not saying I could have hit the ball better than them, but I'm a confident dude. I could have made some of those plays out there. So uh, very frustrating. Um, Got to get it together. The athletic director at Florida State probably wasn't thinking about his head football coach when he was smiling that much. I'll say that. No, I told him, though, I said, good luck the rest of the way and good luck in the fall. And he rolled his eyes. He was smiling, but he said, yeah, we'll need it. But um, Yeah, they will. He's ju- he just got there. I, I had to look him up. Um, he, he's going to have to deal with Taggart. Yeah. I mean, that's not working. Yeah, he's a financial guy. I don't think he has a sports background or anything. Um, well, but he's, he's got to make a big decision there because that program is it a bad. Florida State's taking kids at South Carolina, Kentucky are saying no thanks to that's where florida state football is at right now it's not good for college football because it is such a big brand but they are in the dumps right now uh it, it it's bad it's good for clemson 
It's very good for There's nothing in their way. Nope. All right. Join us next time for another edition of Riding Home here on Dog Post. We'll see you all over on the website, dawgpost.com. Thanks for listening.